Welcome to the Dwelling Podcast. We're so glad you tuned in. Our hopes is that this message inspires you and builds your faith today. Well, we have uh, we've been in a series uh, called Confessions. This is week two. Last week we talked about who is God, and uh, and today appropriately we're talking about who is Jesus, and. Uh, We've got our worship creative pastor, Adam Hooper, going to bring the message today. Come on up. And uh, let me just tell you this. Adam, um, Adam's been a part of this, this whole dream called The Dwelling since the very beginning. But we just celebrated this past week his four-year anniversary on staff. So let's just give it up for Adam. And I'm so thankful for you, man. And uh, he's got a word for us this morning. Love you. Dude. Love you. Right, all right. That, um, thank you, worship team. I'll say that again as, as the, the guy who gets to be a part of leading this team, but really just get to serve alongside of Jesus freaks every week, and it's pretty awesome. And it's really evident when you get to flip over to the other side and just be in the atmosphere that everybody in the back and on sound and lighting and everybody up here puts in a lot of time to help create this atmosphere that we can easily just step into the presence of God. So let's just give them just honor one more time. Thank you, guys. And I'll, I'll say this about the, the dwelling is just being a part of it since the beginning and seeing uh, kind of the ins and outs of, come on, iPad, things that kind of in the mix of a lot of things that I'll just make this statement. Jesus is king of the dwelling. Like he is king over every facet. Is that the word of the dwelling? Every dollar, everything, Jesus is king over the dwelling. So if you needed to hear that from someone, I wanted to make sure that I said that today. Um, as Gunnar said, I'm Adam. I'm the worship creative pastor here. And uh, my wife is Andrea. She's back there running a camera. She's the hottie on the camera back there. Um, me and Andrea actually do video production for a living. And uh, we were um, at, first of the week, we were in North Georgia doing a project. And uh, we were in Hartwell, Georgia. And we met this, anybody from Hartwell? Hartwell? Yeah. Go Hartwell. A um, little small town in North Georgia. And uh, we were doing um, a project, and we got to go out to this farm. It's a 15-acre, 1,500-acre Angus beef farm. And University of Georgia is partnering with Hartwell and just kind of in, uh, enhancing a lot of the city, kind of reviving it. And they're doing tons of projects where they send students. And part of that is like the agricultural part of that region. And um, this man named Asa R. Phillips, he owns this farm. He's 92 years old. What a cool name, Asa. He's 92 years old. He doesn't like, he, his farm hen said, I still let him get on the bush hog every once in a while, but that's about it. And uh, we got to interview him and just hear his, you know, he was a part of the beginning of University of Georgia kind of coming in and partnering with the city. And this man, what, me and Andrea left like, that needs to be my grandpa right there. Like, he was so wise and so kind. He just talked about the Lord the whole time. And he spoke in quotes a lot. And I noticed that right away because we were interviewing him, all that stuff. And I said to him along the way as he was showing us around the farm, like, Asa, you, you speak in quotes a lot. And he's like, yeah, you know, they're just, uh, they just come out of me. 
And I was just like, man, it's really encouraging. Like, it's really cool, actually. And uh, at the end, we were about to leave, and he said some quote like, hey, don't change, or something like that to me. And he said, hey, I want you to have this book. And this book is called Old Saul's Ring True. It's uh, compiled by Asa R. Phillips, Jr. And he said, these are actually a book full of quotes. So, I mean, it's full of them, right? And I wanted to start, and he even gave me his card. He said, hey, you have a friend in Hartwell. Call me anytime. I'm like, I know. I'm like, dude, I, I need, I'm going to call you, bro. Like, I'm really going to call you. Um, I'm going to read a few of these. It's not jokes, but it is. Some of it is humorous, but it, it's really just food for thought. Are you all cool with that? Yeah. I'll start with a banger. Advice is seldom welcome. Those who need it most like at least. Woo. Okay, Asa. You know what's funny is the only, the only credit he gave to any quote was when it's from the Bible. And he just put the Bible. <laughs> it's good. The next one is nobody wins alone. Nothing great was ever achieved without enthusiasm. Woo. The secret of happy living is not doing what you like, but, doing, but liking what you do. I like this. You can't turn back the clock, but you can wind it up again. Come on, somebody. Tell that to your wife. <laughs> this is good. It's easier to make our wishes conform to our means than to make our means conform to our wishes. Glory. I'm going to end on a really good one. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Woo! Thank you, Asa. All right. Well, this morning, we're in, as Gunnar said, we're in this series called Confessions. And I'm going to speak about this confession of who is Jesus. So it's really a question that we're asking ourselves about Jesus. Who are you? What we believe. And I want to I wanna just say first, I don't come to you this morning speaking like I'm a Bible scholar or anything, because I'm not. But I do speak to you as a person who has walked in as close proximity to Jesus as I've known how, as I've grown with him for roughly like 27 years. And since I was about 13, from what I know, I was pursuing Jesus with the knowledge that I had of him and grew up in church, amazing parents who just, um, I've just always, like Gunnar said, I've always known who God is because of my parents, right? And because of my upbringing and but it was around 13 that I know I was really pursuing Jesus. But my nanny says, when I was five years old, that I gave my heart to Christ in VBS at Chattahoochee Baptist Church. Um, you know, when the preacher comes up at the end, the lead pastor comes in and he preaches a roof off to a bunch of kids like hellfire brimstone. I mean, he does. And I remember it when she tells me I'm here to testify it worked. It just worked. And she says she remembers me going up and bowing down at the altar as a five-year-old. And when, <laughs> when she tells me the story, I get emotional. Come on, him now. Because uh, I imagine a, me as a five-year-old, and she has to tell me so I can remember, but bowing at an altar before the king. And I can remember the feeling like this gentle conviction that the Lord gives you, you know, even when the preacher's just preaching it to us, you know, but she said the preacher would come around and pray with each individual, the prayer of salvation. And that's such a powerful image in my mind. And I, I think of 
bowing low before the Lord as we did just a minute ago. And I've heard Ray Hughes say, when we bow our face against the earth, our heart rises above our heads and we gain heaven's perspective. And as a five-year-old, like I gained heaven's perspective and Jesus became Lord of my life. But it was eight, 10 years later, maybe around, no, five. So it'd be like seven, eight years, 13-ish age. I was in youth group. And I don't know if you guys remember Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames. Play. Do y'all remember that? Yeah. <laughs> oh, if you remember, you remember. Like, it was a depiction of the judgment, right? Like, heaven and hell, like, that whole, how that's going to go down. Scariest thing you'll ever see. And it worked. I mean, I, I was the first to raise my hand at the end. Every, I got saved every time I went to Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames. Probably three to five times <laughs> that I would have went from the age of 12 to, like, 15 rededication every time, right? Like Jesus, I'm yours. I ain't going to hell. I'm in heaven, like straight up. And it worked. But that would have been when I know that I started feeling that, that conviction um, from the Lord and really pursuing him. And this series, Who is Jesus? Is really, I want to approach it today from like that question. Like, who is he? Right. And I was actually challenged with a question. Funny story about a month ago. And I've probably told a few of you in here this because it's just funny conversation. But I was challenged with a question from my lovely wife back there. And we were walking the dog and I did something dumb, probably. But I was like, I'm so cool. And we're just walking. And she goes, who told you that? (laughs) And I'm like, I'm like, like. And I was like, if you know Andrea, you know how this went. And I was like, yeah, like, hmm, can't think of anybody who's like outright told me, Adam, you're cool. There you go. Thanks, Dan. First in history. And I was like, yeah, I guess not. Like, I really have not ever been told that. She's like, yeah, let's just rethink it. I mean, it's okay. It's okay. But let's think of, let's just rethink how you're, you know, like you're speaking truth. And she's like, you're the smartest man I know. And I'm like, thank you. She tells me that all the time. Wives, your words mean a lot to your husband. I'll I'll just say that right there. But after, you know, this is a question. Have you ever thought something? And then you ask yourself, why do you really think that? You know, and that's what I want us to do this morning. Like, what do we think about Jesus? And after walking with Jesus for so many years, I realized that Learning more about him is really a series of questions that he asks us or we ask ourselves. And it challenges us to move deeper, to seek him. Jesus wants to actually, I feel like the way we need to start this is for let Jesus ask us a question. So I want all of us to close our eyes. Just close your eyes and picture Jesus either walking beside you, standing in front of you, sitting beside you. Just picture his face. He's probably smiling. Give it a second. And I want you to let Jesus ask you this question. Who do you say I am? Just take a second. Who do you say I am? And there's probably an initial thought that came to your mind. But then there's probably multiple things that follow that. 
But I want you to hold on to maybe that initial thought that you had about what was your response to Jesus. Let's open our eyes. This very question Jesus asked his disciples in Matthew 16, 13 through 17. And that's the scripture I want to reference this morning. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, I think that's how you say that, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? So he's asking, what is everybody else saying about me? Well, since you asked, Jesus, they replied, some say you're John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he, then he asked them, okay, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Woo! Jesus replied, you're blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. When we have a revelation of Jesus, we've encountered the father is what he's saying. He did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Then he sternly warned the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Sidebar, I like how Jesus put weight on his like title and role. Like he let Peter go, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And right after that, he poured identity into Peter. And he said, well, this is who you are, Peter. You're the rock. I'm going to build my church on this rock. So he let the weight of that, like, and you know what happened? The church was built on that rock. <laughs> Read Acts, right? And we're here today because of that moment that Jesus poured identity into Peter. But first, he asked his disciples, who do people say, what are others saying about me? What do people say? And I like how it it's starts with, well, it's like the disciples piped up, like, oh, since you asked Jesus, I'll tell you. And they proceeded with all these slews of speculations, right? And it reminds me how easily it is to talk about others and what they're doing versus ourselves, especially when we think it maybe is not accurate or right. And I think Jesus knew that, right? So he lets them kind of ramble off some things, and then he gets to the second question, which was actually the real personal. Jesus is really personal. So the second thing he says, he turns the tables on him. He says, well, who do you say I am? Now that you've rambled off all these things about others, what do you think about me? So the world, what the world thought really didn't matter anymore. The mentality of the crowd was irrelevant. It was time for the disciples to claim Jesus' identity for themselves. So Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And again, walking with Jesus, I've realized that the kingdom of God is really full of questions, questions that we ask ourselves or questions that God challenges us with. And Gunnar even said last week, the mystery of God keeps us seeking. And I'll add that the mystery of God makes us ask more questions, which keeps us seeking. And what if God is asking us questions so we won't lose that mystery or the wonder of the mystery of God? He's done this actually since humanity started, Adam and Eve in the garden, when they acquired the knowledge of good and evil, what did they do? Shame came over them and they hid. 
garden, uh, God came into the garden in the cool of the evening to walk with them like he did every single day. And he walks into the garden and he did something so unique for God because he knows everything. He said, where are you? Like they're behind the rock, God, like you already know, right? Where are you? So it's way deeper than their actual geographical location, <laughs> like their physical location. He obviously knew that. He wanted them. Why do you do that? He wanted them to really think about it. Like, where am I internally right now? I believe that's the deeper thing with these questions. And that's, that's the, how deep I want us to think about this question. Who is Jesus for ourselves personally? In the book of Exodus, God sent manna. And if you dig deep enough, manna actually means what is it? It's a question within itself. So every, like, I'm at it like they're peeking out of the tent. What is it's here? Like if we said that today, it's like, that is it. Go get what is it? And why, like, why is that even a question? I would just say, because God wanted them to think about the provision he provided again. So ask, asking ourselves questions makes us dig deeper. It's reminders of Jesus. So Jesus has already asked us this morning, who do you say I am? And we thought of things. And I'm sure it was a lot of different things throughout this room. But I wanna dive in a bit more to who Jesus is. And I know we don't have a ton of time and I'm not gonna go through every single thing, kind of like Gunnar did. He kind of started breezing through a little bit like firing off things. I'm gonna fire off a lot of titles, roles of Jesus and give you some scripture reference, but then I'm gonna talk a little deeper about two things that I think are really important that honestly, that the Lord just wouldn't let leave my mind and he taught me a lot about it, uh, these two things. So first I'm just gonna list a bunch of things. You ready? He is the word, that's John 1.1. 1, 1. Jesus is Savior, that's 1 Timothy 4.10. He's Redeemer, Job 19.25. He's the way, the truth, the life, John 14.6. Jesus is the true vine, John 15.1. He is the rock, Deuteronomy 32.4. He's the good shepherd, John 10.11. A lot of these are in John. You notice in that? John was so right there with Jesus. He just has so much input into who Jesus was. Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith, Hebrews 12.2. He is the chief cornerstone. We don't hear that all the time. He's the chief cornerstone, Ephesians 2.20. He's Emmanuel, Isaiah 7.14. He's, he's a teacher, John 3.2. Jesus is the head of the church, praise the name of Jesus. We're not the head of the church. He is, Ephesians 5.23. This is my favorite. He is the king of kings, and he's the Lord of lords. That's 1 Timothy 6.15. And there's so many more that I could just keep going through, but I want to talk about two. And the first one is I want to reiterate something that, that Gunnar talked about last week briefly. Um, because I think if we miss this, we miss nothing else makes sense and we miss everything. It's this, Jesus is God. Yeah. Jesus is God. Specifically, he's the son of God. And for, for the critics of Jesus back when he was here over 2,000 years ago teaching and walking the earth with us, the critics of Jesus, which we would think Pharisees, religious leaders, they, this was really hard to grasp, his claims to be God. And ultimately, I think he was crucified because of his claims to be God. John 8, 58, he says, Jesus said unto them, verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Well, they're like, okay, yeah, this is just not, this ain't gonna work. Like the Messiah to them, Jesus to them 
they couldn't grasp, like, he's not supposed to be forgiven sins and healing on the Sabbath. Like, this isn't, this is demonic. Like, this is not right. So they couldn't get it. And, I, and I'll, I'll, this is just my thoughts, but I'll say, like, as I'm thinking about that, I'm like, to the Pharisees, the reason that his claim to be God really ultimately had him crucified was they were thinking, like, they were very, like, it's one way or it's the other. Like it, like, it can't be that way. And I will almost say, even though they were deceived, I think that there is more deception now than there was then. I think that there's so much gray area in, our, in a lot of thinking of the critics of Jesus now versus then. They were like, it's this way or it's not. And I think now what, what I begin to hear is from the critics of Jesus is he's, he's a good moral teacher. Like he, he has good ways of living and you'll have a better life following him, but he's not, I don't believe he's the son of God. And I think it's a very scary place to be because C.S. Lewis, I like how he puts it. He says, um, he says, if he isn't the son of God, then he's either a lunatic and a liar, right? And who in their right mind would follow the ways, the good teachings of a lunatic and a liar? So Jesus didn't give us the option of the middle is what C.S. Lewis is basically saying. Jesus made sure you either believe on the son of God or you don't. There's no middle ground. And I think there's a lot of middle ground right now. And that's where it gets gray. And it's, it's not, it, yeah, stay, stay away from that thinking. Jesus, I'll say it again. Jesus is the son of God, right? He said it, which means... He's a part of the Holy Trinity. God is three in one. He's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They're all individuals in their own right. They can operate separately, but they are one person simultaneously. Figure that out. He's God, right? But I will say uh, um, uh, the most simple logical thinking of the Trinity I've ever heard was from a UPS driver in, in, in Alabama. His name's Jason Smith. He was a, uh, if you're hearing this, bro, I don't know if this came from you or something you heard, but it stuck with me. Um, I, I think I had been asked by a youth, like one of our youth, you know, about the Trinity, and I really just felt like I didn't have a great answer. Not that we need all the answers, but it was probably like, I don't know. I don't have, let's figure it, you know, who knows? But I remember speaking about it right after youth and, and Jason was there, and I said something about the Trinity. He goes, well, He's like, I got parents, so I'm a son. I got kids, so I'm a father. And I got a spirit. So, heck, I'm three in one. And I was like, what? In the world? Yes. Like, we're, we're not God, but we are made in his image. So why wouldn't we be three in one? Like, we, and think about it. The the like son side of us operates differently than the father part of us. The spirit part, like it, we operate differently, but we're one person. You're going to remember that. I'm telling you, you're going to remember that. Just another reminder, we're created in his image. So that it is good. Thanks, Jason Smith. Or whoever told you that. There's a second thing that I want um, to visit about Jesus, this title. And I think if we miss this, 
it's, we're missing a lot. And a big reason is this one title actually encompasses three kind of roles within it. So we're going to talk through those. And here it is. And Peter said it. Jesus is Messiah. He is the Christ. I'm going to look at my notes a lot during this part because I want to get it right. This is, the, this is the one thing that Jesus has really been. If you think about it, for all of mankind in Old, Old Covenant, New Covenant, the entire Old Testament is written in anticipation of Messiah. So what does Messiah mean? It means anointed one. It's a big deal. Messiah or Christ, because they're one and the same, they mean the same thing, is anointed one. So the Old Testament, it's called the Messianic hope, is they were anticipating Jesus coming. So every generation was looking forward to the promised person that God would send that would have the anointing to fulfill the purposes of God, not only for the children of Israel, but for the entire world. And that person would be the Messiah, which is translated to Christ in the new covenant. In the Old Testament, while not using Jesus's name, they anticipated Jesus's person. Genesis 3.15, all the way back there, it says, speaks of the Messiah coming through the seed of a woman. Prayers and prophecies all throughout the Old Testament declaring that Messiah, the anointed one, is coming. Praise Jesus. There's three kind of categories or roles that are within this anointed one in the Old Testament. So there's three, well, I'll, just say, I'll say this way, there's three people that would be considered anointed before Jesus came. And that was prophets were anointed, priests were anointed, and kings were anointed. Messiah, and everyone in the Old Covenant knew this, Messiah would fulfill all three roles in one person. He would be anointed prophet, priest, and king. And that's why Jesus had a trifold ministry. So he was anointed prophet. So all other prophets, watch this, all other prophets said, thus saith the Lord. And then they would proceed with what the Lord said. Jesus came on the scene and he said, I say unto you. He was anointed the prophet, right? Everything he says is truth. Everything he says is the word because he is the word. I say unto you. He was anointed priest. That's the second part of this Messiah the priests back in the Old Covenant were the ones that were kind of the in-between person. So it connected people to God, right? 1 Timothy 2.5 says Jesus is the one mediator between God and man. So he basically grabs man, grabs God, and brings us together, right? I like to see the cross. The cross is a bridge between... So take the cross and go like this. It's a bridge between an unholy people and a holy God. There's zero chance of getting to a holy God without the cross. Without Jesus taking our sin upon him and being the sacrifice for us, we cannot be in communion. We can't connect. We can't have anything to do with a, a holy God, with our holy father. Thank you, Jesus, that you said yes, right? It's the perfect plan by a perfect father. So he's, he's priest. He's the one mediator. Grabs man, grabs God, brings us together. 
And what this makes him is the high priest. So Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, and he can interpret to the Father our experiences and what we're feeling. Because if you think about it, the Father role is not like the Son role. The Son role, he came and he became man. 100% man, 100% God at the same time. He was a 200% person. And he knows what we're going through. Like he knows why we think the way we do sometimes. He knows the feeling we're having. He knows the trials we're going through. And he can interpret that to the Father. Even though the Father knows, I've heard Tony Evans say this, the Father knows everything, but he hasn't experienced every single thing. That's why Jesus experienced what we're experiencing so that he can interpret this to the Father. He can intercede for us at his right hand. This is Jesus. This is our King. And in 1 John 2, 1, it says, we, we have an advocate with the Father. It's Jesus Christ, the righteous. And then number three, he's a part of Messiah. So he's prophet, he's priest, and he's king. So back in the day, kings were anointed ones. So King David was an, the anointed king of Israel, right? Jesus came on the scene, and he's the anointed king of king and lord of lords, right? He is it. He is the ultimate king over everything. This is Jesus. I'm not going to harp on that because that's easy. It's just Jesus is king, right? Say that daily and it changes the way we think. So watch this. Messiah or Christ, when you read that in the word, think anointed one and watch what it changes. I'm going to just take Galatians 2.20 and read that and replace Christ with anointed one. Because I think Galatians 2.20 is kind of like, like the Christian walk hinges on this verse. It says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I, so I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Watch this. My old self has been crucified with the anointed one. This is where it gets really good. It's no longer I who live, but the anointed one lives in me. That's good. That's so good. It's no longer I who live with the anointed one that lives in me. And I think this actually cleared up a lot for me when I was studying this and trying to get it out on paper. I'm like, wait, this kind of clears up the kind of somewhat confusion I have or the feeling I have of like what anointed is in my life. And I think it can clear it up a bit for us this morning. What is anointed in my life? We are one with the anointed one. So if I just think he's it, not me, it clears a lot up. He is the anointed one, but because I am able to walk with him, I, I've asked him to be Lord of my life. Now he's anointed me, but it's not me. It's him. Without him, zero anointing. Are you tracking with me? He is the anointed one. We are anointed with him. He's the only reason that any of us can say, wow, the worship was so anointed this morning. What does that mean? Jesus was all up in it. <laughs> he was everywhere in here. The anointed one was here. So we should rejoice when someone can say that, right? About the atmosphere that we're in that we get to worship Jesus in. That's a much better way of thinking than to think I got to carry some kind of anointing for myself. No, I just got to really maintain close proximity to the anointed one. And as a worship pastor, I'll, I'll say anyone who's in worship leading or aspiring to be, I think that can really help um, help clear up when someone comes to you and says, 
They're going to tell you your voice is anointed. Your, your worship leading is anointed. And you know what we can do is we can receive the honor, but not hold on to it. Actually just turn right around as you walk away from that honor that someone gave you and just say, thank you, Jesus, that I partnered with you this morning and that you were here. And you can walk away going, wow, Jesus, you're actually with me this morning. Like you did it. I did it. I pressed into you and I grabbed your hand and I didn't do it by myself. Just give it to Jesus. We don't have to carry that anointing ourselves. You can't do anything anointed separate from the Messiah. All right, that was a lot. It's 11.08. That was a lot. And I'm, I'm almost done, but I'm not quite done. I think, you want to come play keys? I love, having, I love instrumentation. I know it's kind of a routine at the end of service, but um, just involved in worship with music and all of that, I really feel that the Holy Spirit rides in on melodies. He, uh, God gave us music for a reason, and this is one of those. What music does is it drowns out the noise, and, it, and the Holy Spirit rides into your thinking. You get to focus on the King, right? See, it worked. months ago and um, Andrea wasn't there with me but I uh, went into my brother's restaurant and I noticed my aunt and uncle in there so I went and sat with them and we were just chatting it was Sunday I didn't go to church because I was supposed to work something that afternoon I thought I was leaving earlier um, so I went in and they just got out of church and we were talking through just kind of church stuff and what the pastor had spoke about and he started telling me uh, when he came to know Christ, when he received Christ as his Savior, and it just wrecked me. Like, and it's a pretty simple story, but I guess just seeing my uncle tell me this, there's something about it, and I'm just, the Lord was like, you need to share that this morning. He was 30-something years old, mid-30s, working at the Sheriff's Department in North Georgia as an officer, and he began to have thoughts of like, not necessarily, I believe he said it this way, not necessarily hurting himself, but just he was okay if somebody hurt him. And that's not a good way to think as an officer. And he knew that. And so he had went to a counselor's office. I'm going to say doctor. Like he went in and he went to the front desk and he says, hey, I want to, you know, I need to see kind of the head person. And he said, well, they're not taking patients today. And he said, well, I don't think I'm gonna hurt myself, but like, I don't, I'm kind of cool. Like, I'm okay if someone else hurt me. And I know that's not healthy. And she was like, all right, we'll go see him now. And so he got in and he remembers sitting there and a slew of questions. The last question that the counselor asked was, what about God? And there's that question. It's when Jesus pulls us in. It's how it's like a question brings us closer to him. It's how he's pursuing my uncle. He said, Well, what about God? He said, I don't know. I mean, I, what do you mean? You know, I've not really thought about that. And he goes, Okay, okay. Well, just think about it. So he leaves and he did think about it. 
and he remembers going home and he went to his neighbor who was a Christian. He knocked on the door and he said, uh, he said, do you have a Bible? And he said, my neighbor went. And he like almost ran to get a Bible and he comes back and he gives it to me and says, okay, I'll give it back to you in a couple of days. He goes, no, it's yours. I'm like, what a neighbor. What you do matters. You know what happened is my uncle saw his neighbor walking with the Lord and he knew I can trust this person and I can go ask him for a Bible right now. Actions matter. So he takes this Bible and he starts reading it. A couple of days later, he schedules an appointment with the um, chaplain of the sheriff's department. And the chaplain wanted him to come to Denny's. Anybody been to Denny's? Let's go. <laughs> so he goes to Denny's one night to have dinner slash meeting. And he said, same thing. It was like a slew of questions. And the last thing, one of the last things that the chaplain asked was like the same question. He said, I, I remember it. What about God? He said, well, yeah, I was just asked that the other day. And I, I mean, I don't, I still don't know. Like, what about him? He said, before I knew it, the chaplain was telling me the gospel. And I was giving my heart to Christ at a table in Denny's. Like, that's where God wanted him to receive him as his Lord and Savior. He said, he said, I walked outside and I looked up and it was the clearest night sky, like stars for days. He said, I remember feeling like a load of bricks came off my shoulders and I never felt lighter. And he said, it was like a movie. The chaplain turns to me and goes, feels different, doesn't it? He said, yeah, I've never been more clear. And that wrecked me. And I don't, like, it seems like such a simple, almost mundane story. But I think that's where Jesus meets us the most. And when we're looking for him, that's where he's pursuing us is in our daily routines. And maybe we come to church and we're just like, let's just go because we're not like the Lord's pursuing you. It's not a routine thing. And I want us all to revisit this question. So let's close our eyes again, like we did in the beginning. Jesus is in front of you. He's probably got a smile on his face. And he's saying, who do you say I am? Doesn't matter what the crowd thinks. Doesn't matter what anyone around you thinks. Who do you say I am? What's coming to your mind now?
Okay, second thing. If you're like, I am tired of running from you, Jesus. When I get asked the question, who is Jesus? I want to know that I know. If you want to just say, I'm rededicating my life to you this morning, Jesus, you are King of kings and Lord of lords. I want you to stand right now. There'll be some of us up here that can pray with you. Dane, if you don't mind being up here too, Dane will be up here. If you need prayer, pray. Let's all stand together as we dismiss. Jesus, you are King. You are Messiah. We thank you for your word this morning. We receive it knowing it doesn't return void because you said so. It's going to settle in our hearts forever. Thank you, Father, for sending Jesus to hang on a cross for us. And I thank you that he didn't stay in the grave, but he now is seated at your right hand. We love you and praise you. Amen. You guys have a blessed week. Thank you for letting me speak to you this morning. See you next week. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. For more information about The Dwelling, visit thedwellingchurch.org.